the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Axios reports that Facebook's Independent Oversight Board upheld Facebook's suspension of former President Trump's account, but told the social media giant to rethink the ban's indefinite nature. The decision sets a global precedent for how Facebook and potentially other social media companies will treat political leaders around the world. Axios reports the board found Trump's posts had, quote, severely violated Facebook rules. It is not permissible for Facebook to keep a user off the platform for an undefined period, however, is what the board found. In response to the ruling, Facebook's vice president of global affairs and communications, Nick Clegg, said the platform, quote, will now consider the board's decision and determine an action that is clear and proportionate. In the meantime, Mr. Trump's accounts remain suspended, close quote. Facebook, like Twitter, barred Trump for violating its rules in the aftermath of the January 6th Capitol riot, then referred the case to its own board. While Twitter was Trump's chief online megaphone, Facebook was his most effective fundraising tool. The Spectator editorializes this way. The Facebook Oversight Board looks a bit like the U.N. Its members hail from 16 different countries. Five of the members are American. And it is a mix of journalists, judges, academics, NGO chiefs, and human rights activists. It is the very model of diversity these days. It counts, its, uh, it counts among its co-chairs a Columbia law professor, and a professor of law from Colombia. That sexy Danish prime minister who flirted with Barack Obama at Nelson Mandela's funeral and married Neil Kinnock's son is also there, as is former Guardian editor and current Oxford Don Alan Roosbridger. Glad that someone on the board has the working man's back. As far as we can tell, conservatives are represented on the 20-member committee by one person, Michael McConnell, a never-Trumper. If you were picking a dream lineup of globalists to slow walk an extrajudicial process and drain the passion from a politically charged situation through the magic of bureaucracy, you could do worse than the Facebook Oversight Board. Two quick points for the record. One, if you go to the homepage of the website for the Facebook Oversight Board, the very first thing you see is a splash that reads, quote, ensuring respect for free expression through independent judgment, close quote. Two, Facebook, as true of Twitter, has pages today for Ayatollahs Khomeini and Khamenei and Louis Farrakhan, people who have defamed homosexuals and Jews and called for genocide. In the first instance of the Facebook website declaration, Facebook clearly has a different dictionary than we do. Quote, ensuring respect, f ensuring respect for free expression, close quote, 
is Orwellian opposite to former president of the United States banned. As Orwell puts it, quote, political language has to consist largely of euphemism, question begging and cloudy vagueness. The great enemy of clear language is insincerity. Where there is a gap between one's real and one's declared aims, one turns, as it were, instinctively to long words and exhausted idioms, close quote. He goes on. If thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. A bad usage can spread by tradition and imitation, even among people who should and do know better. Edwin Herman puts it this way, quote, what is really important in the world of doublespeak is the ability to lie, whether knowingly or unconsciously, and to get away with it, and the ability to use lies and choose and shape facts selectively, blocking out those that don't fit an agenda or program, close quote. Facebook, Twitter, all of social media clearly have an agenda and program, and thus the ability to change the meanings of words and to lie. So in the dispensation of the day, respect for free expression means banning a former president of the United States. And so we are reminded, quote, it was an enormous pyramidal structure of glittering white concrete soaring up terrace after terrace. Terrace 300 meters into the air from where Winston stood. It was just possible to read. Picked out on its white face in elegant lettering, the three slogans of the party. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Let's be clear that we now know why Ralph Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, A man's power to connect his thought with its proper symbol and so to utter it depends on the simplicity of his character that is upon his love of truth and his desire to communicate without loss. The corruption of man is followed by the corruption of language. When simplicity of character and the sovereignty of ideas is broken up by the prevalence of secondary desires, the desires of riches, of pleasure, of power, and of praise, and duplicity and falsehood take place of simplicity and truth, the power over nature as an interpreter of the will is in a degree lost. The new imagery ceases to be created, and old words are perverted to stand for things which are not. Man is corrupted after language is corrupted, and it is corrupted in the absence of character and love of truth. That's what Emerson wrote. I get it. The founders from Jefferson to Madison to Marshall, they got it. John Locke and John Stuart Mill, they got it. The liberals got it and the conservatives got it. Once upon a time, the Supreme Court left right valence from William Brennan to Antonin Scalia. Once upon a time, they all got it, too. Here's a unanimous Supreme Court statement from 1964. Quote, we consider this case against the background of a profound national commitment to the principle that debate on public issues should be uninhibited, robust, and wide open, and that it may well include vehement, caustic, and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. Close quote. A culture only exists when it agrees on certain precepts, the first of which is, of course, language. 
And a constitution can constitute a people only so long as people believe in it. The entirety of the left is committed to people not believing in the constitution. Thus, the constitution of we as a people and society is so riven and we are so at each other's throats. We don't agree on things anymore, including the Constitution, from the very basic meanings of words and the miracle of the common noun to the Constitution itself. We are a disintegrated society. Now, how odd a thing for language to be such a central feature, a mainstay of culture and society, and for it to be limited by one ideologically biased perspective in a country that declares itself a republic, a democracy, with a First Amendment tied to its constitution that declares Congress shall make no law against the freedom of speech. But that is what we have here, a coup to install thought and thus language control. Language control as well to control thought. Democracies, and republics, non-tyrannies were supposed to be uniquely gifted at their immunities against exactly these kinds of things as well as propaganda. So how to get around those immunities? Change the terms of the debate by changing the meanings of the terms in the debate. Inverting language. For too many Americans, this goes on unnoticed. Soon they will notice it. When their schools start uniformly and ubiquitously adopting the U.S. Department of Education standards on civics, described as proposing the reformation of civics instruction to, quote, support the development of culturally responsive teaching and learning, close quote. In the book Culturally Responsive Education, a primer for policy and practice, New York University professor David Kirkland explains that such pedagogy abandons assimilationist, assimilationist dictates, which center on, quote, Anglo-European Christian Judeo cis hetero male whiteness as the normative reference point, close quote. You think we could have even uttered that and know what it meant five years ago? Judeo, Christian Judeo cis hetero male whiteness. Boy, if I said that in my law school class. Just so, though, the Department of Education is incorporating the work of Ibram Kendi into their rules for grants to teach civics, specifically his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. In that book, Dr. Kendi writes, quote, there is no such thing as a not racist idea. There is no such thing as a non-racist or race-neutral policy. Not only is racism all-encompassing to Kendi, it also makes unceasing demands. All racist disparities demand an anti-racist response. Thus, Kendi's anti-racism rejects the very idea that something can exist outside its racial frame, Andrew Sullivan writes. There is no opting out. There is only confession. Quote, only racists say they're not racists, Kendi writes. In fact, quote, the most threatening racist movement is not the alt-right's unlikely drive for a white ethno-state, but the regular Americans' drive for a race-neutral one, close quote. Got it? Race neutrality. Martin Luther King and the ethos of the 1964 Civil Rights Act are the most threatening movement in America. Kendi has recently argued for the adoption of an anti-racist amendment to the Constitution that would make racist ideas by public officials unconstitutional. Of course, Kendi has tagged particular views on taxation, pot, private health care, school testing, and more as racist. Uh, 
meaning that this would gut the First Amendment's free speech protections. Kendi appears wholly untroubled by that fact, and so does Facebook and Twitter and corporate America. As Frederick Hess points out, we have been shut down rhetorically by the peremptory statement that only racists say they're not racist, as Kendi writes. We have been shut down rhetorically by the claims that when we argue we are engaging in whataboutism. We have been shut down rhetorically by the statements that every position we express is extreme. We have been shut down rhetorically by being told we all have implicit racism buried within us. We have been shut down rhetorically by being told we are racist. We have been shut down rhetorically by having leadership in our movement banned, censored, canceled, shut down, locked out of social media, while true extremists and racists thrive there without moment or shame. What is clear is we are trying to be marginal. What, what is clear is they are try, is we are attempting to be marginalized. And what makes it so pernicious is that we aren't allowed to fight back or even share their language anymore. Illness, worry, crime, hate, envy, those were the contents spilt on society from Pandora's vessel. We have gotten all that from the left, and it's getting worse. Let's do recall the last item in that vessel was, however, hope. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Feel free to give us a call. Do you think... It's now time to regulate social media the way, say, in 1964, uh, this country in the Civil Rights Act decided it was high time to regulate um, private businesses that discriminated. That was what the 1964 Civil Rights Act was about, banning uh, discrimination based on race, religion, gender, ethnicity That in – private corporations, hotels, restaurants, private entities. This, of course, was what got the GOP into trouble, not because the GOP in 1964 uniformly opposed that act. In fact, a higher percentage of Republicans in the House and Senate voted for it than Democrats, believe it or not, because of Democrats being segregationists in those days. I guess they are again. Um, but because one prominent Republican senator named Barry Goldwater, who would run for president later that year, voted against it. Now, he did not vote against it, as we've been through this before. He did not vote against it because he was a bigot. He did not vote against it for the same reason the Democrats in the South voted against it, they being bigots. He voted against it from a purely libertarian perspective that he didn't like the government doing to private business what some of us are today asking government to do, which is apply First Amendment standards and other kinds of um, uh, other other kinds of uh, regulations on social media. 
because of viewpoint discrimination. That is what Barry Gold orders against in 64. He didn't think discrimination was, let me put it this way, he hated discrimination. He helped found the NAACP in Arizona. But he didn't think it was un, it was constitutional or in the government's purview to dictate to a private business who it could and could not serve or hire. Uh, that divided the Republican Party and the conservative movement somewhat at the time. Uh, but nonetheless, Goldwater was on the losing end of that argument and helped solidify for many, many, many years until this day the negative perception of the GOP in so many of the African-American voting communities' history or perspective of history. We're asking today, we're asking today because of social media's exclusive, near-exclusive, let me put it that way, social media's near-exclusive control of political discussion because of their near exclusive control of political discussion many of us are saying that we need to apply standards that the government must abide to these corporations yes corporations don't have to do what the government does but when you have something as serious as free speech or something as serious as civil rights. There comes a time when that line between public and private has to be a little more penetrable, right? We've done this in declaring certain businesses utilities. AT&T or any number of phone companies may indeed be private entities, which they are, but they can't discriminate against you based on your viewpoint. They can't say to me or my producer, Bill, we're not going to give you cell service because you support the big lie, Donald Trump, conservatism, um, you know, Doug Ducey, you name it. They just can't do it. Legally, they cannot do it. Is the telephone or the cell phone as important to regular communication as social media is to political communication? You bet. Probably in some respects more so. Probably in some respects more so. The entire venue for 90% of political conversation is on social media, especially in a society. This is the trick here, folks, especially in a society that illegalizes large gatherings in person or the opening of large venues to host conservative or other speakers. Think about that on this break. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960 is the um, 
is the number. I um, I wanted to say one more word, if I might, about regulating social media in the context of Facebook's decision today to further continue the ban on Donald Trump's pages. I I. I, I have interviewed any number of times um, Will Chamberlain of Human Events, an attorney, on this very topic. I think he's quite expert on it. And I think his piece from two years ago on social media platform access is still as definitive as it is determinative. He was talking about regulating social media in response to the libertarian concerns that many of the 1964 Republicans shared in opposition to the Civil Rights Act. He was addressing that because he finds it analogous here. He wrote, private property rights are great. But that does not mean that we as a society had to let private restaurant owners and private hotel managers turn away customers because they were black. We didn't have to accept a world in which black people had to make of the road and the highway a restroom because they weren't allowed to use privately owned restrooms. We as a society do not have to allow private companies to violate Americans' civil rights. I think that's a powerful point, just as we don't allow private companies to violate other things that we consider just, unjust, fair, unfair, healthy, and unhealthy. That is to say, how is it that the government has a right or that the Constitution conveys a right for the government to regulate any corporation whatsoever when it comes to things like pollution, air, water, um, dangerous chemicals or chemicals considered dangerous, products considered dangerous? dangerous, safety, um, how can it mandate and how does the Constitution allow the mandating of safety rules and regulations in private businesses, telling people, you know, when and how and where they can do this, that and the other during work hours at their place of business. The government is involved in all those things. Are they as important? You tell me. Are they as important as your First Amendment rights? Perhaps that question – I wonder if Prager has thought of this. Perhaps that question serves as the dividing line between what makes someone a conservative and what makes someone a liberal. It's an interesting test question. Maybe we each ask it of ourselves, those of you in listening range. Is the First Amendment as important or less than public health? 
Is the First Amendment as important or less than clean air and water? Is the First Amendment as important or less than the absence of asbestos in the buildings we work in and the homes we live in? Is the First Amendment as important or less than the percentage of ethanol and other materials we put in the gasoline that pumps our cars? Is the First Amendment as important or less than our right to be free from noise pollution from a private house or business after certain hours? The government is involved in all these things, but the one most important constitutional protection of all freedom of speech we can't attach to Facebook and Twitter? I might be on to something when you ask yourself, First Amendment versus asbestos, are they at least of equal importance in a society? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy. This will be of interest to you if you're thinking of ditching the high utility power bills you're used to and going solar. Solar Sandy is the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. And the big difference between Solar Sandy and the others, aside from her integrity, is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important. If you're going solar, you do it the right way in solar Sandy has that formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back in your pocket. So if you sign up now with Solar Sandy, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at, si at signing. She can do appointments in person or by Zoom. You should look at her testimonials from previous customers ask at AskSolarSandy.com. They're just amazing. Again, you sign up with Solar Sandy now. Your power bills for one year covered. Your solar panel payments for one year covered. Plus a thousand dollar bonus at signing. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at six two three eight five zero eight two two nine. Again, AskSolarSandy.com or six two three eight five zero eight two two nine. Um, there's two other things I wanted to see if I could get through in the first hour here. One of them I was uh, – I heard on uh, Sebastian Gorka's show earlier today and one of them has to do with children and masks because the CDC has now put out new guidelines for summer camp. Summer camp, you know, the kind of thing you think of as fun or a break um, or something kids look forward to. Well, the CDC is effectively where um, fun goes to die, I suppose. 
um, they just put out new guidelines that even Anthony Fauci said he considers to be conservative, conservative. The CDC guidelines, um, I will get to those in a moment. Um, well, no, let's do it. Uh, let's do it now. Let's do, let, let me let me pull it up right now. Um, guidelines for operating youth and camps during COVID. Okay, here we are. Just released. Ready? This is for your children who've had, you know, no problems over the over the past year. Um, masks must be worn at all times. Even outdoors, by everyone, including vaccinated adults and children as young as two years old. Now, I don't know why a two-year-old would be at a summer camp. Maybe it's a child of a counselor or a staff member or the nurse or something. But do understand, this is summer camp. This sounds like a Soviet summer camp. For the Communist Youth League, masks must be worn at all times, even outdoors, by everyone, including vaccinated adults and children as young as two. The exceptions are for eating and swimming. Thank God. Campers must remain a minimum of three feet apart from each other at all times, including outdoors. During meals, six feet of distance. If you need to sneeze and you don't have a tissue, do it in your mask. Children presumably are expected to carry multiple masks, we would think, right? I, I, this, is just, this is just tragic. This is this is just absolutely tragic. Just when you thought you might be looking at summer camp to give yourself a little relief and let the kids have a little fun, give the kids a little relief and let them be out of the house, they are put into control systems where the rules look harsher than most Houses certainly harsher, obviously, than any household that wants to send their child to a summer camp. I would not expect Team Virus to be sending their children to summer camp. I don't think these rules are to make Karens and Team Panic and Team Virus more comfortable. I don't think they're sending their kids to summer camp regardless. So the kids that are going to summer camp are most likely parents of the normal, have parents from the normal, most likely. Team reality. Where did that come from? Did you invent it? And who's Steve Zabin, the son of the uh, football coach? No, that, that was Lou Saban. Yeah. Nick Saban. Is Nick Lou's son? No, no, no relation. So who's Lou Saban? Maybe they're I'll, I'll have to look that up. Who's Lou Saban? Lou coached the Buffalo Bills in the 70s, I think. And who's Nick Saban? He coaches Alabama. That yeah. I knew. Crimson Tide. That's right. Roll Tide. All that. I get it. Sports games. And they're not related. Both in football. I'm going to look it up. Wait, but who's the Saban who said Team Reality? 
Oh, Steve Zabin, along with Clay Travis, they vie for being sports Seth. My biggest compliment to a sports host. That's really nice. It's a big compliment to me because I'm a big fan of the first one. I wish I knew the second one. So he calls it Team Virus and Team Reality? Yes. Why are you so happy that I'm using that phraseology? I'd like to see it get spread around. Do I Have I been hesitant to use it? Maybe I have. Maybe I haven't used it before. You could use it more. Okay. Okay. With all credit to the Sabin family. I would like Nick to be the son of Lou so that we can ask Tevi who that football coach of Lou Sabin's was. Who that? Yeah, who that football coach related to Lou Saban was. It's a long story. All right. I, I, I want to tell you what masks are doing to children. OK, the CDC is not operating in these guidelines from the perspective of science. They're not operating in these guidelines from the perspective of pediatric health or pediatric psychological health. They're not operating in these guidelines with anything other than what must and only can be ideological manipulation that is backed by zero science. Zero. And I'll tell you why when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I was talking about the new CDC's guidelines on um, masks and summer camp for children. And yes, indoors, outdoors, anyone aged two or up, summer camp, mask. In February, the Montana Daily Gazette published this. A new study involving over 25,000 school-aged children shows that masks are harming children physically, psychologically, and behaviorally, revealing 24 distinct health issues associated with wearing a mask. The health issues and impairments observed in this study were found to affect 70% of masked children who were forced to wear a face covering for an average of four and a half hours a day. The study also included parents. Some of the health issues found in the study included increased headaches, 53%, difficulty concentrating, 50%, drowsiness and fatigue, 37%, malaise, 42%, and nearly a third of children experience more sleep issues than they previously had, and a quarter of children developed new fears. Do you like scaring the hell out of our children? You think that's a good idea? Why don't we just take down all the ratings on movies? Why don't we just stop all this nonsense of FCC regulation over the airwaves and over commercial television? 29.7% of the children experienced shortness of breath. 26.5% experienced dizziness. And hundreds of the participants experiencing accelerated respiration tightness and chest weakness and short-term impairment of consciousness. Why don't we just give these children marijuana? 
And yet the CDC is telling us that masks must be worn at all times by campers, even outdoors, by everyone, including vaccinated adults and children as young as two years old. There is a war against children. I thought it was mostly philosophical and pedagogical. I now get it. It's also ideological, and they are being used as pawns in the service of maintaining the notion that America is a sick society that must live in fear and control. Children should not be pawns here.